Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Welcome back one and all. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Eras. With me today in studio are Nathan Oblak and Dr. Joe Boot. Guys, it's good to be together again today. And we're as we are sort of sitting here at the end of June, getting ready to go into our uh, our summer programming. Just a bit of a housekeeping item that this is our last episode of the season. So we run basically from September to July uh, for for the summer programming. That's coming up very, very, very soon. Don't go anywhere. We've got some uh, some really great new content that uh, Joe teamed up with Answers in Genesis Canada to produce a, uh, a series called Creation, Cross, and Culture. And we're going to be releasing those episodes throughout the summer as they get produced. So we're going uh, to be keeping you with uh, lots of fresh content there. And we are, we are working on new stuff for the fall, new ideas, new concepts, uh, new themes. We're pretty excited about it. You're not going to want to miss it, but we will be back with new podcast episodes come September. Yeah. Stick with us during the summer, as we say, for that uh, cross-culture uh, series with uh, mm. with AIG, because I think people are going to really benefit from those. Yeah. They're, they're good. There are a couple of them out on, uh, on YouTube already, and uh, we'll continue to point to, uh, to some of those. All right. Well, today for for this episode, we uh, and again for all of you who are listening, we really appreciate when you send us notes. We're grateful to know that you have been listening, that uh, this show has been a blessing and a support to you. And every now and then, people will write it right into us, and they'll they'll have a question or a problem. They're wondering if if there's something that uh, that we can say about it on the show. And today is uh, is one of those times. So we got uh, got a note from a listener who says that he keeps hearing this uh, this repeated mantra that obeying COVID restrictions are a way of loving our neighbors. And I thought that uh, there's a lot that, that we often talk about, about this idea of loving our neighbor and what, uh, what that means from a biblical perspective. So Joe, if, uh, if we could take that that biblical concept, that biblical language of love your neighbor as yourself and apply that to uh, current and ongoing uh, COVID-related regulations. Mm. Uh, what do you think we're going to get with that? And I'm, cert- I'm certain this listener is not the only one that has heard this mantra before. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Well, there's obviously a lot we, can, we could say about that, but let me first begin by uh, expressing... Uh, love of neighbor to um, my German friends uh, <laughs> who, <laughs> who lost 2-0 to England today. Commiserations uh, uh, to them for going out of the Euros. Just wanted to say that, just to make sure I got that out of the way. Uh, Two yeah. minutes in. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> All right. I owe you a Come. buck. <laughs> well, the, we'll I, do our best I, to keep Joe tempered throughout the podcast here. <laughs> I think the... The, the most important thing to, to notice, first of all, is that we, 
we do have a very serious problem with the the idea of love today uh, because it's become an elastic abstraction uh, that even by Christians is is sort of abstracted from its true biblical context. Mm. So it's lifted out. It's redefined in terms of what our culture says love is. Mm. Uh, witness the, uh, the the rainbow flags everywhere, for example, mm-hmm. in our culture today. Mm-hmm. So Christians get uh, influenced and informed and shaped by these sort of cultural ideas of what love is meant to look like. And then the concept is dropped. That redefinition is then dropped back down into the Bible. And then we're told this is what loving one's neighbor is, but it is no longer anchored at all in Scripture. So mm. love can be used as an elastic panacea mm. uh, that, you know, militates against every form of uh uh, judgment, uh, every form of um, uh, idea of law and justice, uh, and in fact, it's often juxtaposed with the, with law um, and judgment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're frequently told in various contexts, of course, today, not the COVID situation now, but, you know, don't judge how unloving of you. Mm-hmm. And so this same kind of idea of an elastic principle is sort of being stretched now to say that uh, what it means to love one's neighbor um, in the current situation is to, uh, to simply follow and obey every regulation, every edict, every command of the state with respect to uh, COVID regulations. And, and I actually... Uh, um, posted about something along this line today where the uh, the the health ministry in Nova Scotia uh, has actually said that the the ongoing ban on large gatherings and I think this actually is referring to gatherings outside as well I think that's the, right the the ongoing ban on gatherings uh, isn't actually a fundamentally about the so-called spread, because as we know, you know, mm-hmm. you've got historically low cases all over the place now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, minist- the, the health uh, uh, department there has actually said, the bureaucrats are actually saying that this, this ban on gatherings is to prevent the spread of false information. Yeah. Unauthorized Unauthorized information. information. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is just incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you think about the implications of that. If you, if you allow that kind of logic, if you, if you permit that sort of a logic mm-hmm. to be applied in the name of love, mm-hmm. um, then the state has just asserted the right in the name of its interest of not allowing the spread of unauthorized information that is not authorized by the state and its bureaucracy that it can ban gatherings. So what are the implications of that for the church? Mm-hmm. What are the implications of that, not just for the, for the gathering of churches uh, as Christian doctrine and Christian ideas about human identity, human sexuality, freedom, civil liberties, and so forth are increasingly um, confined. The implication of that, of course, is that what's to stop the state applying that to gatherings for worship? Mm-hmm. To say, well, it's not about the, the mitigation of the spread of a virus anymore. It's about the spread of false information. Mm-hmm. And we all know that the Lametti, the justice minister, has made crystal clear that he thinks that any claims mm-hmm. about, for example, human sexuality and identity that aren't affirmative, mm-hmm. aren't affirming 
are false. Mm -hmm. They're false. So um, this is the problem we've got now with words like love uh, and in the Christian community where they're abstracted from their context. So maybe a good place to begin would be to actually just look quickly at the biblical context um, of what Scripture actually says. And it's um, it does get uh, missed by many believers today that the origin of the love your neighbor commandment uh, to, to to love one's neighbor um, as yourself is actually Leviticus. Mm-hmm. So some people think, oh, this is the law, this is the New Testament requirement. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. actually, the Bible of the Apostolic Church was what we today call the Older Testament. That mm-hmm. was what they were quoting from. Mm-hmm. That was what was read in the in the public assembly. Those were the only scriptures available to them until... Over a number of decades, we begin to get the circulation of Paul's letters and then the Gospels. So um, we actually go to Leviticus 19, and uh, beginning in, let's start in verse 11. uh, You must not steal. You must not act deceptively or lie to one another. You must not swear falsely by my name profaning the name of your God, I am Yahweh. You must not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due, a hired hand, must not remain with you until morning. You must not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. That's an interesting one there, by the way, just as a sidebar, you know, um, the the cursing of the the sick and disabled. Well, what's euthanasia if not a stumbling block in front of those who are um, disabled. Mm. Uh, but you are to fear your God, I am Yahweh. You must not act unjustly when deciding a case. It's now referring to courts of law. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Mm. Judge your neighbor fairly. So what does that say about the neo-Marxist agenda mm. of our culture and and partiality and the social justice mantra. You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am Yahweh. You must not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. I am Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at so there's the first instance that we find of this requirement to love your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. right and uh, it, we can of course then notice immediately that these sort of laws of holiness are applications in specific cases of the Ten Commandments which we find in Exodus 20 And they're restated, of course, in Deuteronomy chapter Mm 5. So love of neighbor is tied in Scripture. And I could have gone on through that passage. It's well worth reading in full. um, Is tied to the law of God. Mm -hmm. So love and law are never juxtaposed in Scripture. They're they're tied to one another. um, And they're, they're linked to one another. So this notion that we can that that 
that this the love principle is this elastic panacea that 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 rises above law is the big mistake. Right. It's tied directly to God's law. Now we can we can prove that uh, in the Newer Testament in the Book of Romans very quickly, which mm. is a a vital passage. In Romans thirteen, again, I wish some of those who quote Romans thirteen would actually go on to read Romans thirteen mm-hmm. uh, in its entirety. Um, beginning at verse eight, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and Paul gives a few: do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. So he's citing there the second table Mm -hmm. of the Decalogue. Mm -hmm. And he says, whatever other commandment, all are summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of Mm. the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. Now, let me just make a very brief comment in passing, a marginal note, because I'm reading from the Holman uh, Standard Bible here. In Leviticus 19, 16, it says, Among your people, you must not um, you must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am Yahweh. That literally reads, you must not stand against the uncircumcised. Uh, so there is a the, the the that needs to be read in the in the in the in the context of the Hebrew there, not mm. to stand against the uncircumcised. So um the vital issue that I think we're missing in the modern church, and you can then you go on to read, of course, uh, in Mark twelve thirty one, the command to love God, love your neighbor as yourself, is that we've allowed this requirement to be disconnected from the law of God. Mm. And then if we actually go to the law of God, and we look at Paul is citing various aspects of the Decalogue, and when we go to the law of God, well, let's take, um, I knew, Ryan, you wanted to comment on one. Let me take... Um, the well is <laughs> i would say that one of the commandments that comes into play is you shall have no other gods before me right now and you shall not make for yourself an idol mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because we've got this idolatry going on in our culture of state right now mm. the new god uh the new source of sovereignty and authority uh that seems to be that which is worshipped i mean my brother was telling me uh, today that at the opening of wimbledon um there was a two-minute standing ovation for you know some of the bureaucrats and and medical professionals responsible for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Mm. Hmm. Uh, there's been um, you the know new priesthood. Yeah, there's mm. been days in which you know the NHS is to be you know people coming out of mm-hmm. their houses all at the same time and on the same day to applaud the NHS. Mm. Now, and this this kind of unthinking, mm-hmm. unquestioning, mm-hmm. uncritical. Uh, submission and obedience to edicts of state and every regulation mm-hmm. i think falls afoul of the first and second commandment mm. but let's also take the fourth commandment uh to remember the sabbath mm-hmm. and to keep it holy and when you there's and there's two aspects to this that i think are important in responding to the the love of neighbor issue mm-hmm. uh, because one of course is related to public worship mm-hmm. And the other is related to work, because God actually requires in his law, which is the definition of love. So God's law, obedience to God's law is what defines love of neighbor. 
because it, we would do no wrong to our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And what defines how we are to treat our neighbor, how we're to, is, is our obedience to the law of God. And God says in his law that you cannot love your neighbor unless you rightly love God. And that's why when the law is being summarized, the scripture says, love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the summary of the law. Hmm. So this notion that you can have that that our culture is in this this altruistic uh, season of love of neighbor, that this can happen in the absence of love towards God is a lie. Hmm. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. You cannot mm-hmm. truly love your neighbor unless you love God, because as Augustine would have said, you haven't got the right order of love. The ordering of love is all amiss. And therefore, love will become misdirected. um, And it will get detached fundamentally from God's law, from God's word. So I've mentioned idolatry. Then there's the fourth commandment I've said, remembering the Sabbath, which is, of course, in Scripture tied to worship, Mm. tied to a day which is uh, reserved for worship and service of the living God. Um, And it's a creational pattern. It's not even a mosaic pattern. It's it's established by creation itself, hmm. and the this is why, of course, the significance of the Sabbath changed with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in terms of when it's celebrated, and it's been the time where throughout all of history, God's people have come together hmm. to, under the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the exercise of church discipline, and mercy ministry, and that has been uninterrupted, essentially, uh, aside from a few isolated and very short-lived circumstances in a certain place here or there, uh, down through the centuries, until now, until the last uh, 18 months. Hmm. Now, what also cannot be overlooked is an aspect of that commandment is that six days you shall labor. Hmm. Right? It's, it's the pattern God's pattern from creation, six days you shall labor. Work is not, and worship, work and worship are not the state's gift to man. They are God's gift to man. And they are grounded absolutely in God's law. And to violate them is to hate your neighbor, not to love your neighbor. So to Mm -hmm. deny people the ability Mm -hmm. to work and earn a living indefinitely in terms of unprecedented measures, is a violation of the law of God. To deny people the right to worship the living God indefinitely with unprecedented lockdown measures uh, is a violation of the law of God. So I ask, my question that I would put back to the, the, the person who says that is, how is it possible to love your neighbor mm. while violating the law of God when the law of God says that love of neighbor is obedience to his law. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Joe, I've heard it said before, and I think it really is quite this simple, but we've gone from God is love to love is God. And really what's meant by that is we've we've developed this subjective understanding of what love is. And we're like you said, in many ways, we're allowing the state to dictate how to love our neighbor right now more than the word of God. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course that's tied to the the the, the change earth, which we'll come on into a moment. I think it's the the changing role that has been given 
to the state mm -hmm. as the guardian and the keeper of my life right. um, rather than the living God mm -hmm. being the, the keeper of our lives. And with that transference comes, of course, a transference of allegiance mm -hmm. and a redefinition of law and love. Right. Um, and now, you know, this elastic panacea of love becomes the idea that we worship. Mm -hmm. And it's, but this, but this is manifest when people kind of make these sorts of claims that becomes manifest then in the state, the state's action. The state action is love mm -hmm. um, and obedience to it is love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this, this might be a good time to think through the whole idea of public health. We're in the middle of a public health crisis. So it should be obvious to us that, I mean, this is the contention that it should be obvious to us that loving one's neighbor right now looks like jumping on board with public health and mm -hmm. doing our part. Um, how would you respond to that, Joe? Well, I think that's tied to, um, in terms of how, par partly how we react to that, I think is tied to Ryan's um, uh, comment sort of offline here on one of the other commandments. Mm -hmm. Ryan, did you want to pick up on that so that we can maybe set some context for, for Nathan's, Nathan's poignant question there? Yeah, all, all I was saying earlier, and this, uh, this came up uh, talking with, uh, with somebody from church that, you, you, Joe, you've mentioned a few of the commandments that uh, we, we are at risk of violating if we wrongly apply and take the wrong approach here. But the, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, mm. is also uh, on the line. And I think uh, there, are, there are a solid half dozen peer-reviewed studies that I'm aware of uh, that show the ineffectiveness of things like your ordinary cloth mask at actually stopping transmission. Mm -hmm. So in the, uh, that's the thing I had in mind. when I, So if, uh, if I am to put this mask on, and this isn't about a mask mm -hmm. in and of itself, mm -hmm. but to put that on, with the full knowledge that it's not effect, it's not doing what everyone wants it to do for my neighbor's uh, peace of mind mm -hmm. or to see that uh, there's no uh, there's no nonconformity going on over here mm -hmm. is to bear a false witness. Mm -hmm. that and I think I think that's been a major conscience problem for mm -hmm. for Christians who the, the Christians who have been. Uh, more resistant, mm -hmm. um, even though they are fewer in number than we would like, um, is that to to send these signals, uh, you know, you could add the social distancing issue there too, mm -hmm. right? Which is, again, um, the numerous studies that we could cite, and we can certainly post some references to this, um, have shown that these these distances are arbitrary, Right. That the, that the aerosol particles travel 30 meters um, and, that, and, 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 and especially distancing measures outside is nothing but virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. And we can tell, partly just to jump in there quick, because they're different from one, 
you know, one municipality to another. And one country right. to another. Right. You know, it's other health things aren't like this. If I eat raw chicken here in Canada, the same thing is going to happen if I eat it in Japan or anywhere else. <laughs> right. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you could say the same about the quarantine measures. Why, why right. would it be 10 days in some countries and 14 days in another? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would it be necessary to have hotel prisons in Canada, but not in other countries? Um you know, where the situation from a from a purely medical point of view is worse. Um, so, yes, these I think this is a this is a fundamental part of, you know, the loving one's neighbor mm. does not constitute in the Bible the violation of one's conscience in bearing false testimony. Right. And the attempt to force Christians uh, to bear false testimony against their conscience, and not just against their conscience, actually, but against the data itself, Mm -hmm. against the actual medical evidence. This is the great danger, and of course, this is a theme picked up on uh, by Rod Dreher in his book, Live Not By Lies, is that in any of these authoritarian and totalitarian environments, one of the things that, uh, in order to um, demoralize people in the literal sense, to demoralize them, to, to strip them of their moral fiber and courage, mm-hmm. is to, in one way or another, um, coerce them to lie. And that doesn't mean you need to, need to be coerced into speaking lies, although um, this is, of course, what the other radical agenda of our time is doing mm-hmm. with, the, with the war on pronouns mm-hmm. and on language. Right. And the attempt mm-hmm. to coerce speech. Right. And of course, a lot of the bills that we're seeing, you know, there was Bill C-16, I think it was, and Bill C-10, there's Bill C-36. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all attempting to coerce speech and co- mm-hmm. uh, coerce communication. But here you've got, uh, with these masks and distancing measures, you've got, th- this is coerced action. That's right. That is saying that you fundamentally believe something about this virus mm-hmm. uh, and this current social situation and to be coerced to wear masks and coerced to distance from people is forcing you, um, frankly, to lie uh, mm-hmm. about uh, in, in very often against people's better knowledge. Um, and but of course, thinking back to, you know, we're in, Thankfully, nearing the end of Pride Month here, but um, do we have to call it that? Uh, I, uh, yeah, no. Is it Pride season now? I'm told. Yeah, I or, think so. Yeah, but I mean, you can apply it to. I mean, we we are being made to affirm uh, certain things we don't necessarily believe as well. I mean, there are many people out there that would never affirm there are more than two genders, but like Ryan had said earlier, uh, because we don't want to make people uncomfortable, that would mm. be unloving. Yes, we're we're going to go along with right. the narrative. So God says, you know, I've made them male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unless unless I'm missing something, I'm not seeing seventy two genders in the Book of Genesis or whatever it is mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm seeing two, mm-hmm. right, male and female. Mm-hmm. And so to to act and to talk, to speak, to live as though they're are more mm-hmm. than the male and female that God has created, notwithstanding the fact that we know that there are genetic diseases uh, because of the, after the human fall into sin. We know that there are some rare genetic conditions, but that those conditions do not create other sexes. Mm-hmm. Your chromosomes don't actually lie, um, and so uh, 
the the coercion to act as though there are mm-hmm. is of course to participate in that is to lie it's to bear false testimony it's to sin against god it's actually to hate your neighbor it's not to love your neighbor mm-hmm. and it it is the driver of cultural subversion and demoralization uh, because if you can make people act and speak in direct contravention of what they know is actually true mm-hmm. especially um you have stripped those people of any sense of uh, moral authority and and steadily they're stripped of their dignity right and so i think um i mean there's a there's <laughs> and that's another example of unauthorized information to speak mm, out against right. these things the whole uh, uh, the whole i mean and part of that as well i think and maybe this is maybe where we can sort of focus the latter part of our discussion but i think it also sends the message that human health, public mm. health, is the sole province of the state. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you're saying when you when we, when we participate in all of those things is we're being forced to say what we're now. Of course, you know, most of us are in a situation right now where if you can't get your groceries without a mask, you know, there's some of us as as much as we resent it. We have to put that mask on. Mm-hmm. So when I do, I make sure that my mask has got a very crystal clear message written <laughs> on the front of my objection to this lie. And I refute the lie on the mask itself mm-hmm. uh, when I've got no alternative but to put that on to buy essential goods or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's also sending the message that human health and well-being is basically the province of the state. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the limitless process of medicalization. Uh, that is going on today, and this is this is deeply disturbing because you're hearing a lot of Christians now in sort of fudging this and not wanting to challenge what's going on, saying that well, public health is mm-hmm. the state's role, um, uh, as though as though the family, the church, what should be in fact an independent medical community, um, has no saying that because of course we're seeing that 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 the doctors and physicians themselves don't have an independent voice because the cpso and we've said this before the the college of physicians and surgeons of ontario and other and other provinces are threatening doctors with discipline and we've seen a doctor fired recently out west Mm -hmm. uh, for questioning this mindless drive Mm -hmm. to vaccinate children Mm -hmm. even young children who are of no real risk of this thing at all, many of whom have had it and are purely asymptomatic. And we're actually just putting them at risk. Mm-hmm. They're actually being put at risk. They've got more likelihood of dying of lightning strike uh, than of, of COVID. And yet there's this, this, this seemingly maniacal drive to vaccinate children. And I think, Ryan, you were saying earlier that, you know, what previous vaccine... That's right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's all I was saying. Where, when else have we seen such a push to vaccinate the, the, the broader population? Vaccinate the universe. Yeah, it's a good expression. Right. Mm. But I mean, to the point where, if there were Klingons but, right now somewhere yeah. <laughs> out in another world, we'd be sending spaceships to go and vaccinate them. Yeah. I mean, it would be a political move because not everyone here has had it yet. But. And not everybody's in the Federation. Um, so maybe we couldn't get them all. Um, but but this, 
this uh, this isn't science driven. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was reading an art- article today, which I thought was very, very good um, by Peter Lightheart. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost as though you can predict, you could predict quite easily, actually, which prominent thinkers today within the evangelical reform community will, will take this perspective. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and he says, um, today's vac- uh, mania for vaccines isn't science-driven, Universal vaccination isn't about health. If science or health were guiding policy, natural immunity would be fully acknowledged. So if earlier in the article, he's talking about how uh, the Great Barrington Declaration, which mm-hmm. f- focused, you know, Harvard, Stanford and Oxford, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, top specialists arguing for focus protection. And they've just quietly, faithfully, despite all the hostility, the censure, the insults and everything kept at their consistent messaging. Um uh, talking about the fact that millions of people have been infected and recovered. Those people have natural immunity. We know that they do. And uh, the the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration are saying what we know about uh, natural immunity as well means that that a great many of these people could have permanent immunity. And, and we know that very, very few people who have been infected have been reinfected. But that's being entirely ignored in this coercive drive to vaccinate every single person, mm-hmm. and then and tie, all the reopening plans and tie tied the to, opening, yeah. the reopening of society mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this loving uh, to one's neighbor? And he goes on. He says, "Governments and their cultural allies promote universal vaccination for political reasons. It's about control." End quote. And um, this is the thing: is that in, in, in this kind of signaling, I think the lie that we're giving force to is that life is government business um, and that it's the, the, the government's primary job to keep us safe. So there was a time when in the West we recognized that government was a ministry of justice. It bore the sword, right? It was a ministry of justice. Mm-hmm. Now it bears the syringe, mm-hmm. And it's a ministry of medic- medicalization. It's, it's saying that our primary task is to keep you safe from all harm. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's impossible for the governments to, to governments for the state to even pretend to that unless they exercise tremendous social control and have populations under surveillance, as we've seen, maintain their and update constantly their databases, isolate and separate populations who are considered dangerous to the body politic and so on. So the state effectively becomes your doctor writ large. Mm-hmm. And that's what's deeply troubling about when you hear Christians saying, well, public health is the state's role. I ask the question, where does the Bible say that? Where does scripture anywhere indicate that it's the calling of the state to be a medicalized bureaucracy mm-hmm. governing and controlling and managing human health. It has a very minor role, I would argue, as per Leviticus 13, in, in some rare instances, the, the limited duration quarantine of the seriously infectiously ill. So you've got this, this coercive universal um, uh, vaccination plan, which in the end is about control it's about a biopolitical the biodigital the biopolitical uh control of populations 
how is this love of neighbor? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just want somebody to explain that to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And very honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. write in to us. Ryan's talked about us responding to questions. Somebody write in and tell us, explain to us how the coercive vaccination of children and of populations who have had the disease and are naturally immune and therefore needed vaccines for poorer countries don't get there because mm. they're, they're, they're all taken up vaccinating every Tom, Dick and Harry and your neighbor's cat uh, for this thing. Um, how is that loving one's neighbor when we're placing them at risk? Uh, so it's, it's, yes, it's the bearing false testimony. It's the being forced to participate in bearing false testimony. And then it's actually saying that we are giving, we're also bearing false testimony in giving the state a mm-hmm. role that scripture and the Christian worldview and the history of right. the West does not give it. Right. And we're allowing them to define what is health, what right. is safety. And we know they're not consulting God's law. And it's interesting to me that we, you know, many Christians can support this notion of public health. Well, look at how they've defined health here in Canada. Abortion, right. euthanasia, etc. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when, when you turn a ministry of justice into a ministry of the syringe, right, it, it bears the it bears the, the syringe, not the sword, mm. then what do you get? Euthanasia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. abortion, mm-hmm. coercive vaccination, mm-hmm. and you could go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, gender... Gender uh, conversion. Conversion yep. therapies mm-hmm. and everything else. So it yep. bears the syringe. It says that it's going to be responsible for, for ending, interesting, Nathan, ending hatred. Right. Hmm. We're going to pass laws against hatred, mm-hmm. the Ooh. emotion of hate, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, if you... somebody should about time <laughs> <laughs> who could be against that why haven't we done this before <laughs> so whereas God says Paul says uh, God says through the apostle Paul hate what is evil cling to what is good yeah the state the modern state says we're going to pass laws against you feeling mm-hmm. anything more than what is it uh, a, a strong aversion <laughs> uh, to something mm. so it com- so it it, for- it forbids the feeling of hatred and mm. it commands its idea of love. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Uh, it passes laws to forbid hate, and then it passes laws to implement its idea of its own idea of love as the new God, mm-hmm. as the new God of the people. It's the, new go- it's the, it's the religion of our age, and it mm. bears the syringe, not the sword. Um, we, we don't... The, the, the guilty go unpunished, and the innocent are persecuted mm. and killed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is the tragic situation of our culture, and all in the name of legislating love and hate. Mm. Joe, is love a uniquely Christian thing, or can you love blasphemously? Mm. Yeah, that's a very but, good... Mm-hmm. It's a bit, a bit of a maybe, a... maybe a fine distinction. But, yeah, well... You know, um, if I say that I love terrible things, do I actually love, or do I have a a warped affection for something. Yeah. Well, I think that from a reformational perspective or even from a, uh, from the Augustinian perspective, you can have disordered loves. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why the, the, the placing of God, as we said earlier at the center yep. is so critical for love to be real, for love to be genuine. I mean, um, is it James who says, you know, if, or John who says, he says, if, if, if I love, um, God, but hate my neighbor. Mm-hmm. I don't know the love of God. So 
uh, I think we can say that it's possible because although we live in a fallen and a broken world, um, and the everybody lives in terms of the uh, moral aspect. The moral aspect is part and parcel of human experience in the real world that God has created. Nobody can escape the moral aspect of life. Um, it is possible for uh, human beings made in God's image, even though they are sinners, to give good gifts to their children. Jesus says so. Uh, and to do things that are actually, in some instances, in conformity with God's law. Mm. Uh and, uh, you know, Paul says in Romans 2 that um, the, the, the Gentiles who do not have the law do by uh, nature effectively uh, what the law requires. They, right. they, at least they show that they are under law, that they are bound by law. And of course, Isaiah the prophet is crystal clear about that. We've violated the everlasting covenant. Uh, we have transgressed laws. And that's why God holds the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the pagan nations as accountable for the violation of God's law as the Israelites. Um, and it's why Jonah is sent to Nineveh. Uh, it's why the, it's partly why the, uh, the, the Israelites are allowed to be taken captive and dwell among the Babylonians and so on. So um, we wouldn't want to go as far as to say it's impossible for a non, an unbeliever to love at all. Um, but it is a, uh, it's a, it's it's a warped love, mm -hmm. right? So let's take for example the marriage relationship, mm -hmm. um, where the Bible is crystal clear. Paul is very very clear that for marriage to function as God intend, Christ must be at the center of it, and that's why in the marriage relationship, uh, submission is always directed first towards Christ, and it's as to the Lord. Well, of course that doesn't happen in a, a non-Christian marriage, but we wouldn't say that no. Uh, love manifest in the moral aspect of human experience is present there. Right. So I think the degree to which in our sinfulness uh, we approximate obedience to the law of God, we can say that love is present. However, um, it's nonetheless apostate love if it mm -hmm. is not right. first centered in God. Mm -hmm. It's uh, one of those filthy rags of righteousness, kind absolutely, of thing. Mm -hmm. and it and it becomes and it becomes quickly and easily misdirected, and of course idolatrous, or as you said, uh, even blasphemous. And I would say, you know, the the mantra of love of our culture in terms of the 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 misuse of the rainbow and queer theory uh, that's that's that is the so called manifestation of you know love today is both blasphemy and idolatry. And it's, in fact, the opposite of love. So I think that's where Scripture would, um, in my view, come down on, on, on that issue. Um, and, of course, ultimately, uh, as sinners, until Christ has regenerated us and renewed us, all our righteousness, even for the believer, all righteousness, all our activities not raw in Christ, it's like filthy rags. Mm -hmm. So... Um, the we do have a unique challenge for our culture um, that uh, love must be rightly ordered and directed towards God for it not to become hatred. I think it's uh, uh, I don't want to cite where the passage is now, but the scripture does say that it's the com the compassions of the wicked are like hatred. Uh, 
it it's it it, it when when the, when when the when the unbeliever who's hostile to God thinks they're exercising compassion, it's a terrible thing to experience. Mm-hmm. That's from Proverbs, or where so the mer- the mercies of the wicked are cruel. Are mm-hmm. cruel, right. right? If that's the same passage, that's that the one I was thinking of. Thank okay. you, Ryan. Um, exactly. And that's what that's what Scripture says about the the you know mercy that's not rooted in God, mm-hmm. because we have to rec- we do recognize. That you know what's going on even now culturally, many of these people genuinely believe they are being loving and merciful, mm-hmm. and they don't recognize the cruelty of it. Mm-hmm. They don't see it, and it's hard sometimes even to get Christians to truly see the cruelty mm. of what's taking place. Um, but um, that's why we have to, you know, that's why we struggle with struggle on and press on with mm-hmm. our with our podcast to try and draw people back to the word of God mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. focus in on, on scripture with respect to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a, uh, maybe a, a, a good way to wrap this up unless there's another question. Nope. Carry on. It is, is We're about to, close to time here is to just to remind people that the, the only truly unsafe thing to do and to be is disobedient to God. Mm-hmm. That's what's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that um, if they did not escape who had the message proclaimed by angels, how much more mm. sh- shall we not escape if we neglect such great salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we don't take his salvation and lordship seriously, that's... The, uh, and we abandon his law, that is the place of danger, not the place of safety. And so um, I think a good way of kind of summing it up is that in the end, what God is concerned with is the quality of our lives, not necessarily the quantity. Hmm. Uh, it's not the number of years that we live that matters most. Uh, there were some people in Scripture who lived to ripe old ages, and there were some people who lived much shorter lives. Um, but it's the the quality of our life in terms of our obedience and faithfulness uh, to the Lord. And human life uh, and love of God and neighbor is never centered in the Bible in illusions about developing some kind of omniscient, semi-omnipotent capacity for preventing bad th- any bad thing from happening to people and therefore giving the most powerful cultural organ in terms of coercion, the state, mm-hmm. all the authority and power to manage life. Um, Jesus was crystal clear. You cannot add a single hour to your life That's by right. your fret, your anxiety, your worry, your rushing around, thinking you can you can save it. You can't. Mm-hmm. All the days ordained for me, the psalmist says, were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, that doesn't mean we're fatalistic, but it does mean that we have the ability as believers to um, properly evaluate risk and to walk in a life-enhancing freedom because we know that we ultimately we trust God and we can't add a single hour to our lives. So... Um, the key thing is that we walk in obedience to God. I think it was Albert Camus in his novel, The Plague, where he talks about the basically human confrontation with disease highlighted the absurdity of life. Mm. But actually, the human confrontation with disease biblically only goes to highlight 
the meaningfulness of the totality of creation because it reminds us, it confronts us with the reality of our fall into sin, the groaning of creation, and points us to redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded scripturally that every season of trial and difficulty and suffering and sickness and so on is a reminder to value life as God's gift. And remember I mentioned at the beginning two of the primary gifts of God's law to man are worship and work. That's right. Two of the things, interestingly, that the state has wanted to, to, mm-hmm. wanted to deny two people mm-hmm. during this time. We're to take pleasure in our toil, the Bible says. We're to rejoice in all the beautiful life arts, and then we're to rest in God's assurance that he's made everything beautiful in its time. And there is a time to love <laughs> and a time to hate. Mm-hmm. Right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Mm. And that's what love of neighbor really looks like. Right. That's a great, uh, great concluding thought, Joe, Nate. I have loved being here with you guys. It's been uh, good to do this again. Good season. Mm-hmm. Great good season. Good season, yeah. yeah. We uh, should have had some champagne or something. But uh, <laughs> in any event... You know event, that champagne has to be French, right? I've if heard that. If it's not, it's only sparkling white. Yeah. Yep. So it must yep. be French for it to be called champagne. So that's quite can expensive, so, right? Can something so. French be invited into the Knox cellar? <laughs> <laughs> Poor France. They're out the world. They're out the Euros. You I, know that, I've right? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Sad. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. Well, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> C'est la vie. <laughs> and uh, thank you all for listening. Ryan, before we fully sign off, can we... Uh, can we do the Scooby-Doo ending for the podcast season? Oh, the Scooby-Doo ending. <laughs> it was Old Man Withers from the amusement park. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. I, I think that's Justin Trudeau, isn't it? <laughs> I happily have no idea what you two are talking about. <laughs> and, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for being with us this season. We look forward to being back with you in September again. This has been Worldview Wednesdays on the podcast for Cultural Reformation, reminding you that from him and through him and to him are all things. See you soon. It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this time